Let us worship God. First reading this morning is from the Gospel of Mark, the 13th chapter, beginning with the first verse. In preparation to hear these words, let us pray. Holy God, we give you thanks for these ancient words and for those who have carried them down throughout the ages. We ask that you would illumine our hearts and minds that your word might fall afresh on us this day. As he came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what large stones and what large buildings? Then Jesus asked him, Do you see these great buildings? Not one stone will be left here upon another. All will be thrown down. When he was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, 
When will this be? And what will be the sign that all these things are about to be accomplished? Then Jesus began to say to them, Beware that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name and say, I am he, and they will lead many astray. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is still to come. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. This is but the beginning of the birth pangs. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Thanks be to God. The second reading comes from the first book of Samuel, chapter 1, verses 4 through 20. On the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to his wife Peninnah and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her though God had closed her womb. Her rival used to provoke her severely, to irritate her, because God had closed her womb. So it went on, 
year after year. As often as she went up to the house of God, she used to provoke her. Therefore, Hannah wept and would not eat. Her husband, Elkanah, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? Why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? After they had eaten and drunk at Shiloh, Hannah rose and presented herself before God. Now Eli, the priest, was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of God. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Holy One and wept bitterly. She made this vow. O God of hosts, if only you will look on the misery of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a male child, then I will set him before you as a Nazarite until the day of his death. He shall drink neither wine nor intoxicants, and no razor shall touch his head. As she continued praying before God, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying silently. Only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli thought she was drunk. So Eli said to her, How long will you make a drunken spectacle of yourself? Put away your wine. But Hannah answered, No, my lord, I am a woman deeply troubled. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before God. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman, for I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation all this time. Then Eli answered, Go in peace. The God of Israel grant the petition you have made to God. And Hannah said, Let your servant find favor in your sight. Then the woman went to her quarters, ate and drank with her husband, and her countenance was sad no longer. They rose early in the morning and worshipped before God. Then they went back to their house at Ramah. Elkanah knew, yes, that knew, his wife Hannah, and the Holy One remembered her. In due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son. She named him Samuel, for she said, I have asked him of God. The Word of God.
There's armed conflict in the world, racial and religious discrimination, hate crimes, terrorist attacks, a widening gap between the haves and the have-nots, fermenting anger and unrest. Democracy is under attack in many countries. The COVID pandemic has caused so much suffering and death, loss of jobs, and economic chaos around the world. Climate change is affecting us now with changing weather patterns around the globe, melting ice, rising sea levels, and catastrophically powerful hurricanes, tornadoes, and typhoons. There is worse flooding, longer droughts, and devastating fires breaking out all over the planet, as well as loss of biodiversity. This is the sunny introduction to the world's most famous naturalist, Jane Goodall's new book, The Book of Hope, A Survival Guide for Trying Times. Had she waited a few months prior to publication, she could have included last week's New York Times article entitled, Trapped in a Pandemic Funk, Millions of Americans Can't Shake a Gloomy Outlook, with the author noting that despite signals things are slowly improving, more than 60% of voters in opinion surveys say the nation is heading in the wrong direction, with grievances including rising prices of gasoline, groceries, and rents, with global supply chain disruptions leading to shortages and high costs. Both Democrats and Republicans complain our political system is virtually a complete failure, and a sense of stagnancy clouds almost every facet of our lives. Happy Apocalyptic Sunday, everyone. We call it that because the gospel reading from Mark portends doom and gloom for the end times, with Jesus sounding like he's having a really bad day. Jane Goodall, at age 87, while acknowledging these are dark times, still believes in hope based on her own life experiences and the people she's encountered in her career, studying the chimpanzees of Gombe in Tanzania and her global conservation work through anti-poverty and youth education programs such as Roots and Shoots. She says, if everybody loses hope, we've had it, because without hope, we give up, become apathetic, and do nothing. However, for Jane, hope isn't passive wishful thinking or fantasizing things will surely work out. Quote, you won't be active unless you hope that your action is going to do some good. So you need hope to get you going. But then by taking action, you generate more hope. Jane sees hope as a human survival trait, and without it, we perish. In her own scientific work, Jane spent years observing chimps, but initially, they kept running away from her. But she persevered 
and slowly won their confidence, especially David Greybeard, an older, friendly chimp who used long grass stems as tools to fish out termites to eat from a termite mound, destroying the belief that only humans were capable of making tools or had emotions or personalities, which caused a worldwide sensation and a scientific revolution. Jane says, if I hadn't had hope that I could, given time, gain the chimp's trust, I would have given up. Jane notes that hope doesn't deny the difficulties, setbacks, and dangers that exist, but is not stopped by them and works to remove them. There is a lot of darkness, but our actions create the light. Hope science, yes, it's a science, has identified four essential components. Realistic goals to pursue, realistic pathways to achieve them, confidence we can accomplish these goals, and finally the support to help us overcome adversity along the way. In spite of grim global realities, Jane has four main reasons for hope. One, the amazing human intellect that reasons and solves problems with creativity and inventiveness. Two, the resiliency of nature to survive and thrive despite humanity's destructive behaviors while still restoring the ecosystem. Three, the power of young people to take action and make the world a better place. And four, the indomitable human spirit to tackle what seems impossible and never give up. In her Roots and Shoots events, they end with all the children shouting out, together we can, together we will. Well, like Jane, Hannah in our scripture reading is not giving up on hope. In biblical times, being barren was viewed as a sign of divine punishment. In a patriarchal culture, female identity was tied to childbearing. So if you couldn't conceive, there was great stigma. These dominant social expectations about gender and family undermined Hannah's happiness and self-esteem, leaving her heart wounded and spirit broken. She had to endure being misunderstood by her husband with his inept words of comfort and the cruelty of co-wife Penina's jealousy and persecution of Hannah as a disgraced failure as a woman. Today, we see the sexism behind these male-dominant cultural assumptions. Yet, Hannah per per perseveres in her faith life and then does something amazing. She refuses to be browbeaten, marginalized, rebuked, or believe God is punishing or cursing her, that her dire plight is her own fault. No, she rejects the patriarchal system's notion that she has no worth, dignity, or identity apart from her capacity to bear children. She boldly enters the sanctuary, almost demanding God's presence, despite her loneliness, isolation, and despair, 
pouring out her soul in anguish and pain, willing to be vulnerable because she recognizes God knows and loves her despite what others or institutional religion might say. Refusing to kowtow to the institution, saying she has little agency, freedom, or value, Hannah takes her spiritual life into her own hands and encounters God on her own terms, insisting on being heard, not allowing any priestly rebuke, falsely accusing her of drunkenness, to deter her. She trusts God won't abandon her, that God can heal and remake all things, despite no guarantee her circumstance will change. What is even more thrilling than Hannah eventually becoming pregnant is in her song and praise and prayer to God, which follows the section we read, where she becomes concerned not only about her own liberation, but talks about God raising up the poor, lifting the needy, tending to the weak and vulnerable, similar to Mary's Magnificat in the Gospel of Luke. The world and its same old expectations are turned upside down as the hungry are fed and the rich must work for their bread. A desire for justice for herself leads Hannah to a desire for others' justice, to set right the wrongs of this world, offering hope and encouragement for all those struggling against oppression and marginalization. By acting against her own hopeless situation, Hannah becomes a beacon of hope for others in despair because of her faith that God does make new futures possible instilling joyful confidence to those excluded or maltreated. Samuel's birth is a sign that God is changing Israel, restoring it to shalom, harmony, wholeness. Samuel, the bridge between the old and the new, will appoint Israel's first king, and Israel will become a great nation on God's terms, by breaking through all the powers that be, which dishearten and bind people, leading to hopelessness. Jane tells a beautiful story in her book to illustrate her hope in the indomitable human spirit. Hexia and Wenki are two friends who live in a small village in rural China. Hexia was blind in one eye at birth from cataracts and lost sight in the other eye at age 30 due to a factory accident. When Wenke was only three, he lost both his arms when he touched a downed power line. When Hexia lost his sight completely, he became really depressed and Wenke realized he had to find something they could do together that would give purpose to Hexia's life. Around their village, quarrying had polluted the rivers, killing fish, and industrial emissions had polluted the air. Wenke suggested they plant trees to absorb the carbon dioxide. They didn't have any money, and it seemed hopeless, but Wenke said he would be Hexia's eyes, 
and Hexier would be his arms. They couldn't afford to buy seeds or saplings, but cloned branches cut from the trees. Hexia did the cutting while Wenke directed him to the right place. They planted 80 cuttings, but when spring came, only two were still alive. The land was too dry. Hexia wanted to give up, but Wenke told him that wasn't an option, and they figured out a way to get water to the trees and planted more cuttings with most of them surviving. Jane said together they planted over 11,000 trees. At first, the other villagers were skeptical, but now they helped to take care of those special trees. A documentary film was made about them, and Wenke said, quote, though we're limited physically, our spirit is limitless. So let the generation after us see what two handicapable individuals have accomplished. Even after we're gone, they will see that a blind man and an armless man have left them a forest. Their friendship meant they could do the impossible together, that hope can be a shared project. In that Mark passage, Jesus says that when everything seems to fall apart, it's time to watch for the birth pangs of new life. Like Hexia and Wenke, giving up is not an option for us Christians, despite global conflict, climate change, and the pandemic. Our job in apocalyptic times is to help create the new world God is building without waiting for the nation's leaders to do it first. Did you notice at the COP26 climate summit, notwithstanding the disappointing final agreement criticized by activists, especially Greta Thunberg as a lot of blah, 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 that those with the power making decisions about how much the world warms in the coming decades are mostly old and male with entrenched interests, while most of the angry protesters outside accusing world leaders of wasting precious time to safeguard their future are young and female, that observation should give us hope. For Jane and Hannah, hope is a verb, one that calls us to take action and fight to get where we need to be. Jane uses four strategies to put hope into play. One, talk with people, not argue at them, otherwise they can't or won't listen to you. Two, connect with compassion, finding a common interest to bridge differences. Three, use stories rather than statistics as change comes from within. And act for, act local. Since looking globally can be, well, overwhelming. So make a difference about something you care about in your own community 
maybe on your own street. Apocalypse in Greek means an uncovering, a disclosure of something secret and hidden. To see reality as if you're looking at it for the first time. Jesus' words are meant as a comfort. Your world may be torn apart. The last day at your job, a rejection letter from a college, financial loss, serious illness, the death of a loved one. But in every collapse, God is sowing the seeds of a new birth, which can mean painful birth pangs, because there can't be a new world without letting go of the old one. The most hopeless moment the world has ever known was Jesus' death on the cross, yet God resurrected him and is constantly resurrecting us. So there's always cause for hope. As Jane reminds us, quote, only if we understand can we care. Only if we care will we help. And only if we help shall all be saved. Beloved community, the new world we want for all depends on a God whose eternal love is our only hope, just as it was for Hannah. Despite these dark, trying times, hope is alive. We are not giving up. Together we can. Together we will.
As we continue now with the prayer chants, you are invited in the silence of your hearts to offer your prayers of intercession and supplication, those prayers for the world, for those you love, and for yourself to be given to God. Oh 
justice, love tenderly, serve one another, hope mightily, and walk humbly with our God. And may the grace of God who created you in love, the peace of Christ who teaches it is possible to be love, and the power of the Spirit who calls you ever forward into new experiences of love, be and abide with you this day, this week, and evermore. Amen. Thank you.